Lord, we thank you for this time tonight. We ask that you would guide us and direct us into your word. We thank you for what you've been teaching us already, and we ask, Lord, for more. Help us to understand this precious subject of atonement and what it means to worship you. We pray that you would continue to reveal. And Lord, I just pray that um, even though there have been bunny trails and places we've gone that maybe have been hard for some of us, we ask, Lord, that you give us much chesed and grace and love that we would be able to truly understand and that you would truly reveal to us what we need to know tonight. And we give you much honor and glory in Yeshua's mighty name. Amen. Amen. Bunny Amen. Uh, trails. Oh, yes, bunny trails. Thank you, Michael. Uh, Wednesday, next Wednesday, the 5th, is Tikkun Lel Shavuot Okay, um, what that is, at least in our setting, and uh, of course we're different so we do things differently, uh, traditionally, Tikkun Leil Shavuot means you stay up all night and you study the Torah. Uh, why? Because according to uh, the rabbis, um, when God gave the Torah to Israel on Mount Sinai, uh, our people were a little sluggish and they were napping. And so this is kind of like to uh, make up for it. Uh, we don't stay up all night to study the Torah. Uh, however, our very uh, loose or, or relaxed version is to study the Book of Ruth, which is also traditional uh, for Shavuot. Um, and our celebration of Shavuot th this year is going to be somewhat uh, downscaled because of our location and we're trying to figure out what works, what doesn't work. Uh, can someone share um, Okay, I think uh, Well, you're special so you get one. Yes. Asseyez-vous s'il vous plaît. Um, so um, Ruth is traditional so we'd like to ask that you folks study uh, read and study Ruth for next Wednesday and we will go over together as the spirit leads us uh, Ruth obviously has all kinds of messianic implications um, lots and lots of uh, applications so we'll do that and beyond that uh, God will show us exactly what to do so it's uh, kind of where we're going um, do we have any questions uh, review from from last Wednesday night uh, speak up or forever hold your peace Okay, you had your opportunity. Um, all right, let's uh, start with um, Hebrews 8, 
verse 11, uh, verse 13. Excuse me. And we'll start with this one little verse. Because a lot hangs on how we understand or, or don't understand this verse in relation to uh, the Torah versus the New Covenant. Okay. Um, let's see. Who do we volunteer? Joy, would you read that? That's it. And saying new, he has treated the first as old, but what's being made old and aging is close to vanishing. Why don't you back up with one verse? For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and their sins I will remember no more. Back up one more. You said 11, right? And no more will they teach, each one is fellow citizen, and each one is brother, saying, No, Adonai, because all will know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and their sins I will remember no more. And saying, New, he has treated the first as old, but what is being made old and aging is close to vanishing. Okay, thank you. So, again, the theme of Hebrews is what? Superior. What is superior? Who is superior? Uh, Yeshua. Yeshua is superior to anything and everything that went on before. So, chapter 1 begins with angels. He's superior to, uh, to the angels. Um, and the reason for that was that angels, according to tradition, were involved in the giving of the Torah. There were uh, mediators in the process. Um, Yeshua is superior to to Moses, you know, which was a biggie, still is, because according to uh, tradition today and back then as well, uh, Moses was the prophet of all prophets. Um, Yeshua is superior to Aaron because he comes, he is connected to a different line, and the line is the line of Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Okay? Um, and now, um, in chapter 7 and 8, particularly in chapter 8, and some into chapter 9, the writer is going to talk about how Yeshua, who initiated the new covenant, how Yeshua is superior to what went on before. And the new covenant is superior to the older covenant. And part of the challenge for us is to see what the writer is saying and what he is not saying. So at least um, from, from surface reading of this one particular verse, verse 13, what does that suggest to you? If you knew nothing else, uh, from Hebrews and, in fact, the rest of Scripture. What would that suggest to you? That the new has replaced the old. That the new has replaced the old and... The old wasn't as good as the new. Basically, the old, the old is essentially obsolete, and that is one of the usual translations um, in, in Hebrews 8.13. Um... What is the problem with that kind of uh, translation and interpretation? It makes people think they don't have to obey the law. 
Well, you get replacement theology, too. It does away with a lot of scripture. Yeah. It does away with a big chunk of scripture. Well, not quite. We'll, we'll talk about a, a big chunk of the five books of Moses. Yes, sir. In the Old Testament, it foreshadows what's going to happen over and over again. So if you don't uh, read the Old Testament, you can't understand the, the New Testament. Correct. But, but again, if you were to take 100 believers from standard uh, First Press, First Presbyterian, First Assembly of God, and so on and so forth, what will they say based on, on 8.13? That, that the Old Covenant has, has, been, has been totally replaced. And it's obsolete, i.e., there's nothing of value uh, in the Old Testament. So we want to step back and say what is is being said here, what is not being said here. Remember that uh, the form of argument is, is called Kal Vachomer, arguing from the lesser to the greater. But the lesser has to have something in it, otherwise the greater is not going to be worth a whole lot. If the lesser is zero, then the greater is going to be not a whole lot. So part of the issue here is we want to say, okay, uh, what has the writer been talking about in, in Hebrews chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10? Anybody has read it five minutes before you came? You said Yeshua is superior, I and mean, that's still the same context. Yeshua is superior, but in reference to the to the Torah, to the old system. Okay, we talked about how that that um, Yeshua's atonement is superior to what went on before. So if it says if it says here that the system has has been has been vanishing or passing away, mm -hmm. what does it what is it referring to? What is it not referring to? Sir? The fact of the matter is that the Torah was perfect. God initiated it, but the people could not keep it. That was the problem. And, and because it was perfect, it fulfilled in Yeshua, the old, the Torah. It is. So what has passed away? What is being passed away? Sacrificial system. That's exactly it. The yeah. sacrificial system um, yes. and, and the priesthood is what the writer has been talking about in chapter 7 and 8 and 9 and 10. So when he says the old has, has passed away and is obsolete, he is referring to the sacrificial system and the temple the way it stood. Uh, we have, we have a, a good reason to think 
that Hebrew was, was written while the temp temple was still standing. Um, but regardless, um, the sacrificial system, the way it was uh, before Yeshua, was, was uh, limited. Now that Yeshua has come, the parts of the Torah that had to do with the sacrificial system and particularly with atonement and forgiveness and cleansing are no longer applicable. They're being transitioned out. Uh, In chapter 7, uh, the writer of Hebrews says about Melchizedek, he came before the law, but Abraham gave him the God was the same as we have now. You better believe it, otherwise we <laughs> we have some serious problem. Yeah, and so um, what for for the purpose of clarifying what we need to understand, uh, and this is a, a, a Jewish thing, okay? So on one hand, on the other hand, on one hand, uh, James tells us that the Torah is one. You break one little commandment, you break all of it. On the other hand, uh, the Torah is multidimensional. It has the sacrificial system, the temple and so on. Uh, it has uh, tort laws. That would be like our civil law, right? Our civil laws, yeah. You know, what happens... Uh, when someone smacks into you, God forbid, which has happened a number of times to some of us, um, you know, in, in in those days, what happens if if your ox falls into your neighbor's pit? And you know, what do you have to do? That's called tort laws. Um, then you have uh, ceremonial or ritual which of course include uh, the festivals. Um, then of course you have the moral laws. Um, and so you know that the writer of Hebrews is really not talking about tort laws because God's standards for justice have not changed. Um, and, and particularly here, uh, th the Lord spoke a lot about the proper treatment for the poor. In fact, in, in Deuteronomy, uh, Israel was told, you will not have any poor people among you. Why? Because if you take proper care of people, you will not have uh, people who are homeless. Uh, obviously, that's ideal. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen. Um, but that's part of God's heart. That doesn't change. Because He cares. He cares for the downtrodden, for the poor, uh, the widow, the orphan, and so on. 
fact, in Exodus chapter uh, 21, um, the Lord said, if, if you oppress the poor and the widow, and they cry out to me, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to kill you. No problem. Make your children orphans. And your make, you, make your children. Uh, so, that obviously has not changed. Uh, the ceremonial laws and, and the holidays and so on are typically described as this is what you are to do throughout your generations in perpetuity. Uh, why? Because, uh, for example, Passover is to be a reminder to Israel, and not just to Israel, but all of us who are part of God's family, this is what God did back then. And it's a visual, it's a visual reminder. Uh, it's a mile marker that God was active. He did stuff, and you really want to maintain those. It's sort of like a uh, an anniversary. And uh, guys who are husbands who forgot their anniversary, at some point learn those lessons. Um, and of course, moral laws do not change. You know, if God hated something. Uh, in times past, he's not going to say, "Oh yes, by the way, I'm, I'm all for civil unions, and 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 I, I'm picking the most egregious one." Although uh, moral laws exist, moral sins exist in all kinds of areas. Uh, homosexuality is the most obvious, not the greatest sin, but most obvious in some ways. So the the point is. Uh, the writer has not been talking about any of these. Uh, he's been talking about Yeshua as being superior to the sacrificial system. Why? But why has he spent so much time talking about that? Because he ended it because we could not ever kill enough animals to take care of our sins. That's that's obvious. Um, yeah. But remember, who are the people who are getting this this written sermon? Well, we were talking that they were probably a group of Essenes or having some Essene beliefs. And part of what the Essenes already believed, they had a different way of doing things outside of the temple. And they kind of seem to indicate that maybe they were still under tabernacle-type laws. Why, why does the writer of Hebrews spend so much time saying, guys, um, if, if you minimize Yeshua, <coughs> guess what's going to happen to you? You back under the door. No? No, no, no. Well, I think I think what they're doing here, they're doing two things. I mean, the the author is definitely speaking to an audience that are Jewish, right? And he's also trying to not minimize uh, Moses or anyone that's a that's you know come before Jesus, but but he's trying to say he's trying to I guess maximize it and and say that this is relevant because Jesus was already predicted ahead of time, Yeshua, right? Remember, and, and remember. That, yeah, go ahead, please. Yeah, he was. He was basically, you know, he's a priest. He's not. He's not minute. He's not tiny. He's someone that is relevant to God's plan for salvation. And uh, 
and this is the covenant that uh, that God has shared with Abraham. He had to, and he and obviously Moses probably had to see see that uh, that salvation also along, you know, of all the leaders that led the Jewish people to where they're at right now, and uh, and on top of, I guess establishing the priesthood and the sacrifice and getting you know basically he's just trying to establish that you know Jesus is the the salvation or Yeshua is the salvation that uh, that God's been talking about all along which which is obviously part of the guts of Hebrews yes but remember in chapter 13 verse 22 yes he says I hope You've been patient with this word of exhortation, paraklesis, which means basically a sermon. In other words, I'm not telling you a bunch of stuff to fill your head with a bunch of knowledge, but that's why at, at key places in the book of Hebrews, the writer stops and gives a stiff warning. Uh, so even though, even though in some ways, Hebrews is a touchy-feely kind of a book. Um, let us enter boldly before the throne of grace. At the same, by the same token, he also says, "You don't mess with God. Our God is a consuming fire." Maurice, the, the Hebrew, the Hebrew, the, the, the people to whom he's writing, they are Jewish believers. They're, uh, they're Jewish believers who are kind of wobbly right now. Right, and, and so this is what I was thinking. This is what I meant. It was trying to give them a warning that if you, if you don't grasp this whole thing with Yeshua and the sacrificial system, you're thinking, well, maybe I do a two-step business here or whatever it is. He said, you put yourself under the curse of the law. I mean, if, if you decide that Yeshua is not sufficient and you try to go back to the... He does not specifically talk about the curse of the law. In fact, what he's basically saying is uh, you run the risk of God nuking you. Uh, what you have is he'll talk about something like Yeshua is greater than the angels and then he'll, he'll, he'll give a stiff warning. If this is what happened to those guys who thumbed their nose at God <coughs> at, at Mount Sinai, I guess it's going to happen to you. Then he talks about something else and he gives a stiff warning, and you have a number of these very strong warnings at different places throughout the book of Hebrews. So the point is, he's not just interested in them uh, getting clear ideas. Not like the Galatians. Huh? Not like the Galatians. Not a, well, in some ways, yes, like the Galatians. Um, not quite as severe as the Galatians, but you have you have the same kind of urgency uh, and passion on the part of the writer of the book of Hebrews. He's saying to them, uh, you guys know who Yeshua is, let me clarify for you, and be sure the fact that you can't trifle with this, because otherwise you're going to pay some stiff consequences. Is that what? what six is, right? Um, huh? Chapter six. Chapter 6? Yeah, I'm seeing that right there. Chapter 6 is one of the places. Yeah, join. I think you sort of said it. What I was saying, to clarify, what he's saying is, this is the fact of Yeshua, and understand that 
rejecting him, not, not realizing him, it's rejecting him. It's not just a case of rejecting him, you're rejecting God. You if you reject Yeshua, you're really rejecting God, and this is what God does to those that... That's, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Uh, so it's not just, let me explain stuff to you so that you understand it. Let me explain stuff to you so that you get what, what, the, uh, what the consequences are, so that you uh, are real careful about going that route. Uh, and, and part of the issue is, and, and we are reading into it perhaps, assuming that perhaps they were under pressure from other people in the, in the Jewish community. And, and if you live in, in a culture, like we used to live in Israel and so on, and other places, there are a great deal of pressure on believers to conform to the rest of society. So, um, what I wanted to do is, just for the sake of clarity, um, talk about both covenants. Let's start with um, Jeremiah 31. And verses 31 to 37. Where it says, thus says the Lord, because some of them start in 30. Okay. And yes, you're definitely dying to read. <laughs> Your mother has one. If you have a TLV, it's different. Yeah, it looks like she has a TLV. It's a green Bible. Behold, days are coming. It is the declaration of Adonai. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the land through the mouth of the land of Egypt. They broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. It is the declaration of Adonai. Do I keep going? Please. The 37. Oh, sorry. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. It is the declaration of Adonai. I will put my Torah within them. Yes, I will write it on their heart. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will each teach his neighbor or each his brother say, No, Adonai, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. It is a declaration of Adonai. For I will forgive their iniquity. Their sin I will remember no more. Thus says Adonai, who gives the sun as a light by day, and the fixed order of the women, and the stars as a light by night, who stares up the sea so its waves roll. Adonai Sabaot is his name. Only if this fixed order departs from before me, it is a declaration of Adonai. Then also might Israel's offspring cease from being a nation before me for all time. Thus says Adonai, only if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, then also will I cast off the offspring of Israel. For all they have done, it is a declaration of Adonai. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Like anything else, um, people like to take words in scripture and tease them out until they scream. One of those, of course, is new, chadash, or chadasha, brit chadasha. And there are a couple thoughts that I wanted to mention, just chadasha. Um, just to cover 
what I feel is, is important ground. Um, this word can mean new as in brand new. Like a car that you, you buy from the dealer, if you buy from the dealer. Um, something that is uh, fresh, completely different. This word can also mean renewed. And so part of the argument people sometimes give is that the new covenant is not a new covenant, but it is a renewed covenant. And the point that they will make um, is that a lot of what's in the Torah is also reflected or stated in the new covenant. So there are obviously points to both of those. Um, However, um, to, to, to take the most obvious one, uh, here when it says new, it means something that is different from what went on before. Why? Because you guys took it and ripped up the paperwork. It's like a person who has a, uh, a mortgage and says, I'm tired of this mortgage, and After you paid it, right? <laughs> sometimes yes, sometimes no. Joy first. Slight money trail. This, this scripture from Jeremiah and other prophet books, how was that information disseminated back in the day? Like, how would the Hebrews and anyone else know that that's what was being taught? Good question. Good question. I'm glad you asked it. Um, Luke chapter 4. You familiar with Luke chapter 4? You should be. Uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Tasa, you look like you want to read. Just want to make sure you're... It's, it's 4, 18. Yes, ma'am. Okay. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to tell the good news to the poor people. He has sent me to announce freedom for prisoners. He has sent me so that the blind will see again. He wants me to free those who are beaten down. And why don't you go on another verse? And, and he has sent me to announce the year when he will set his people free. And then another verse. I'm sorry. Then Yeshua rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant and sat down. Okay. okay. Thank you. Um, so this was written down in the day. Huh? So it was written down in the day. It, it, cer day. it, it certainly day. was. Yeah. It certainly it was. You had you had the uh, the uh, the Torah, of course. Um, Dead Sea Scrolls, um, they found a complete scroll of Isaiah. Mm -hmm. uh, Dead Sea, of course, was roughly Yeshua's time. So it was written down, people had the opportunity <coughs> to read it. Yeah? Well, um, Yeshua also referred to that um, when on the road to Emmaus, and it said that he explained from the Torah, the prophets, and the writings. So right. Right. Yeah, so in first century Judaism, you, you go to synagogue, 
you read uh, from the Torah, which was either an annual or triannual every three years, then in addition to that, you have the scrolls from the prophets, and it seems like there's a fair amount of latitude in what you read, because Yeshua was given to him the scroll of Isaiah, and he turned to Isaiah 61. Of course, back then there was no such thing as chapters and verses. Well, I understand that in Yeshua's day, yes, but I guess I was referring to when Jeremiah was making these statements. Who was he making them to and how would they know? How far did that word reach at that point? Well, like the other prophets, Jeremiah prophesied slash preached for 40, 50, 60 years. He had uh, an understudy named Baruch uh, who transcribed some of that. I don't know all the rest of it, but, but God somehow saw fit to it that people uh, that the prophecies were written down. Yeah. I'm just trying to ask why it's brief, and what does the word brief mean? It doesn't say the law or Torah. Brit, brit is covenant. Covenant? Yeah. Uh, so, um, what God is saying in Jeremiah 31 is the problem was not with what I gave you. You were the problem. Um, and I was a husband to you. Now, that's very strong language. Which means that what God gave Israel was part of an ongoing relationship. It goes back to... Sinai. It goes back to... Abraham. Patriot, the, the, the patriarchs. Abrahamic covenant. God said to Abraham, um, I, you and your descendants after you, uh, I will be your God. And in, in 17 it says, I, I, will, I will establish a covenant with you forever. So the relationship between, between God and the people of Israel predates Moses, predates uh, Sinai and goes back to Abraham and that was a covenant without any stipulations without any conditions it was it was faith for Abraham to step into it once he was in it he was in the covenant he and his descendants so from that point on the relationship between God and Israel was not a a conditional covenant that depended on how well Israel did or how badly Israel did but it was based on the Abrahamic covenant and you notice that in the new covenant there are no conditions um, what, what is God saying to Israel by the way not to the church, to Israel what is he saying to Israel what is God requiring from the nation of Israel? Obedience. Hmm? Is he requiring obedience from Israel? Absolutely not. He's requiring nothing. He's saying, this is what I'm going to do. This is an unconditional covenant. It's an unconditional covenant. Of course, obedience is, is implied just as it is for us. 
So why is like impulsive Isaiah? He says that it should repent. I'm not sure though. <coughs> Where in Isaiah? I can't remember, but I remember reading about like he's saying like Israel should turn, their, turn around, turn their ways. Well, uh, the, the Isaiah, Jeremiah, everybody. But what what Jeremiah is saying here is that the time will come when God will establish a goof-proof or idiot-proof covenant with the people of Israel that will not be based on what Israel can do, but will be based on what it is that God can do. So to answer your question, Joy, they probably were probably found these words pretty mysterious or very unconventional because they probably didn't understand what kind of covenant this was going to look like. The hearers in Jeremiah's day, that is. Yeah, I mean, they... And, and by the way, what you'll find in all the prophets is despite the fact that God says to them, you guys are screwing up. If you don't stop it, if you don't turn around, I'm, I'm going to punish you and punish you severely. In all the prophets you have that, but you also have the promise of restoration. Why? Because of God's love going back to Abrahamic covenant. Um, yeah. Does he accomplish this through the Messiah's second coming, or is it, is it separate? Accomplish. The yes. Covenant. First coming. First co coming. Oh, first coming. That, that covenant. Okay, so there's not another covenant after that. No. Okay. No. In fact, as assuming we have time tonight, we'll see Yeshua when he gives the cup uh, at the Passover. He says to them, "This cup is the covenant in my blood." Poured out for many, for you guys. Um, so no, there's n there's not a new covenant. Um, so, what what God is saying, I will do all these all these things. Why? Because I'm committed to you. I have a relationship with you. And yes, you guys screwed up back here. But my commitment to you goes all the way back to Father Abraham. And the new covenant is like. The covenant with Abraham because it is unconditional <coughs> and it is eternal. There are no time limits. That's the part that he talks about if you can measure the sky <coughs> or count the stars. And so part of the issue is, and, and obviously we're not going to dive into, into everything, part of the issue is that yes, Fellow believers who are Gentiles, who are part of the universal body of Messiah, have been brought into the new covenant. However, does that mean that Israel, the original people that God made the covenant with, does that mean that Israel is no longer part of it? Because if you say that, then what God has said all along is not worth the paper that it's written on. And if he says unconditional covenant, and if he says here in Jeremiah, with the house of Israel, I will make this covenant, then either you take it at face value or else you say, oops, it really means the church, which is unfortunately what has, has happened. Um, Rabbi, does it, uh, relating to Jeremiah, Forerunner that warned 
inspired by the Holy Spirit to tell the people, stop your stubbornness and realize what's going to happen if you continue on this path. And then it's brought into, as you did with Yeshua, how he read um, Isaiah. And he's telling, he was trying to tell the people right in front of him in the synagogue, you are, go back and see the stubbornness that has come through the ages through the prophets warning you that if you don't hear me, Yeshua, don't hear his word, you are going to be, or say, eliminated. Did he say you're going to be eliminated, Mary? I'm saying that. Okay. Is that what the good book says? No, because there's still part of his redemption. Okay, so let's let's choose our words carefully. Because eliminate eliminate means that God is taking you and throwing you into the garbage. But to bring out the seriousness of them accepting him standing and, and Yeshua gave some very strong warnings like, like the other prophets did. Um, however, it is all based on the fact that there is the relationship. And, and in Jeremiah 31, I took you by the hand. Who takes who by the hand? A friend? Loved one? How about uh, a daddy? <laughs> yeah, and so so this is you know this is part of of the complexity of of God's pain because Israel broke the covenant, but at the same time He says, "I was a husband to you," and yet I'm I'm going to come up with a system that doesn't depend on how faithful you are, but is based on how faithful I am. Two things about the New Covenant. Um, where is the Torah going to be written on? The hearts. It's internal. Um, it is Torah team, my Torah. Okay? It's not somebody else's Torah. My Torah, my instruction. Uh, second of all, what about your sins? Hmm? I'll remember them no more. That's I will not only forgive, but I will forget. Um, and then he goes on to talk about the duration of this covenant. Oh, by the way, uh, if the sun is still shining, this covenant is in existence. And I'm still committed to Israel. <clears throat> Um, so, uh, when, when we look at the New Covenant, we need to realize that the Old Covenant was given by God, and it is precious, and that there are things about the, the Old Covenant that we want to sit up, we want to study and learn and pay good attention. I'll give you one example. Um, remember that in the tabernacle, how, how was the tabernacle set up? Three different courts. Yeah, three rooms. Okay. Who could go into which room? And what about the rank and file Israelites? 
you forgot. Okay. Uh, they go into the outer court. Outer court, where you had the um, altar, the laver. Uh, then the priests went into into the holy place, where you had the um, uh, the candelabra, uh, the table of the presence of God, the showbread, and then the altar of incense, and then here you had the um, um, the mercy, so-called mercy seat. Um, so the Israelites knew that there was no way that they can get into here, and this is a big chunk of what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. He's saying that um, unlike the old system, in the new system, all of us can enter into God's presence. Okay? We say, thank you, God. Now, is there reason to think about this as first century believers, 21st century believers? What lessons can we learn from the fact that only the high priest can go into here? Okay. The priesthood of the believers. We have a mediator, right? Yeshua that goes and intercedes for us. We do. We do. So there is a place for us in there. There is. But that God desires that closeness. God desires that closeness. Now, think about what a person, what the high priest had to go from here to here. In Leviticus 16, we, we looked at it. He had to do a whole bunch of stuff. He had to wash himself. He had to uh, sacrifice a bullock. He had to sacrifice a goat. And so on and so forth. The point is that there were gradations of holiness when you went from here to here to here. Hang on, Ben. Um, is that different today, folks? Yes. Is it? No, God is too holy. Yeah, I was going to say, to what strikes me the most is the recognition of the holiness of God. Okay, and, and that's what I'm driving at. Because uh, the intimacy with God and holiness with God, the same principle applies today. Yes, we have Yeshua as our mediator. Uh, yes, he intercedes for us. However, intimacy with God is just as expensive in some ways as it was back then. There's a price that has to be paid. And we live in America where everything is instant and we ex expect this, that, and the other, we don't understand that intimacy with God is something that requires a price in our part. What do I mean by that? We don't just touch into His presence. So, on one hand, we're told to climb up on Daddy's lap. However, on the other hand, uh, intimacy with God uh, is something that requires a price that would be paid. Read the stories of the lives of people who were great intercessors, great men and women of God. And you'll find out exactly what I'm talking about. There were people who gave of themselves to God in order for them to have, to have that intimacy, to have that special connection and ability to pray with power. Why is that not, because I don't remember in my upbringing as a 
why that was not stress? Because God is our buddy, and um, and it's all grace, and um, furthermore, if we just come to Daddy, He will do what it is that we want, and so on and so forth. Now, that's that's a a, a caricature, and I realize I have I have good friends who are in ministry who are not in messianic ministry, uh, who have an awesome heart for God and who understands the, the things I've been talking about. But I would say, as a rule, fellow believers, unfortunately, are raised up a lot of times with, with uh, milk mm-hmm. um, and, not, and not the meat of the Word, which you find in this lovely book called Leviticus that we all love to take and curl up with. Vin, you had a question. Uh, this might not be in the Bible, but why would, why would God all of a sudden change his... Not, I'm not saying he changed himself, but like changed the covenant in terms of like making a new covenant. Like, what, was, what was the reason behind <coughs> that? Well, we read, we read the reason, Vin. What does it say? I made a covenant with you, and what happened? He broke it. He broke it. He broke it. So I needed to come up with a new covenant. Okay. Uh, Maurice. Um, two things. One is funny. One is um, talking, going back again about the intimacy of God. We, back then, to be intimate, I mean, it was, we couldn't get to that holy place, just in the ordinary holy paroi. We couldn't get to that holy place, right? And now we can, through Yeshua, Right, but wouldn't you say one of the sacrifices that are made, just to start off with, is time? In other words, if you're going to have time with the Lord, you can't just rush and say, well, hi, and rush out. And there's anything going on there. I mean, doesn't it require... It's time. It's, it's first of all, Maurice, it's first of all the heart. Mm-hmm. What is at the top of the list, me or God? Yeah, but you know, you know, we all like sometimes desire it in intimacy with God, but it's it's not like we're just spending time with Him and praying and so on. It's not a thing. We can't think of it as a instant like everything else. You know, instant stuff. It's it's anyway. We're not willing to do. We're not willing to do what it takes to get it. Yeah, it takes. At least I know for me, it takes time for me if I'm going to spend time with the Lord and I'm, I'm wanting to hear His voice. I can't just rush into His presence and I will hear His voice. You know, it takes, my soul has to be quiet and all this sort of thing, and it's time, and we have to realize to have that time with God, you know, it's, we, we have to set aside other things, you know, really. It's also a process, and process takes time, mm-hmm. and we're, hang on a bit, and, and we're impatient. We're impatient. We want what we want when we want it, and, uh, you know, God tends to be somewhat narrow-minded. You know what I'm saying? He yep. operates He operates according to his sense of... And and so why is, is was this given to us? Is it just f- because God had to give this to the dumb Israelites and now the show came on the scene, it's, it's essentially uh, worthless? No. These are all part of basic lessons. It's a revelation of his order. 
It's a revelation of his order, his priorities, and how he does business. And his character. And if you don't understand how he did business back here, trust me, you will not understand how God does business today. Isn't it also a picture of the heavenly top? I mean, when he was, you know, they said, Yeshua, he, he refers to the tabernacle in the heavens. Right. But, and, but, and to give them an example of sort of what Yeshua has done. Yeah, but please understand, folks, in, in the heavenly tabernacle, we don't have a labor, we don't have I know, a, I know, I know. you know, and, and uh, we don't have partitions. And by the way, this is something that uh, the end of Revelation tells us, that at the end of time, when God gets done with, with his business, there will not be temple. Why? Because God's presence will dwell with us without any hindrance, without any distance, which is not the case at this point. Even now with Yeshua interceding for us, there's still some distance between us and God. Why? It's sin. Because of sin. And we still because have a sin. sinful nature. And yes, we deal with sin, and yes, we get restored and cleansed and so on, but um, we're not able to see God full on as we will, uh, as, as John, uh, 1 John 3 tells us, uh, when we see him, we'll be like him. We're not quite like him. Now, Gail, you had a question. Oh, well, no. I, I was just referring to the fact that we often want, you were talking about the intercessors, we often want what someone else has. I want that relationship. I want to have that. I want to have that intimacy. But we're not willing to give up what it takes for them to have it. They didn't have it in, in, a, in, a, in a short amount of time. So that's, I was just adding to. Yeah. Vin, you, you've been asking. Yes, uh, so the intercessors, like Paul, for instance, is an intercessor, right? Of course. But then that, that was happened really rapidly when it changed his heart on the road to Damascus? Uh, yes and no. Um, he was filled with the Spirit of God. He was given unusual ability to proclaim the Word of God and to perform miracles. Um, Intercession, at least the way I understand what Scripture teaches about intercession, is, is a process that you don't, you don't learn instantly. That it, it is part of a learning process, a part of maturation. And so as Paul is in ministry for 20, 30 years, you see all his letters, he is saying, I pray for you continually. And when I pray for you, I thank God and so on and so forth. Uh, I'm, you know, we're uh, arguing from silence to some extent, but that's that's my that's my um, understanding of of how prayer and intercession works. Joy. So along with Maurice and Gail and the stuff on the board there, if we think of the intimacy slash maturation on a spectrum, right? Where you've got a milk diet on this end, and you've got the meat and potatoes on this end. If you come to him and you're still on the milk diet, he still honors you coming to him, even though you're not oh, sure. aware of all of the mature believers' requirements. Absolutely, absolutely, as as is the case with with any parent with a baby. However, part of the warning of the book of Hebrews is he says, "Knock it off." You guys been believers a long time, and uh, a mature believer 
doesn't take the meat, it doesn't take the milk, he takes the meat of the word. There's expectation of growth. There is expectation of growth and maturation, and I would like to have been able to tell you some stuff, but I feel like I can't because you're so you're so immature and I have to give you the the basic stuff. This is uh, Hebrews five and six. Again and again. Huh? You have to give that again and again. You have to give that again and again. And go ah, uh, you know, etc. So um, you have both end. You have the fact that God loves us with an everlasting love. He poured out His love upon us. We're His kids. That identifies us. Uh, however, at some point, God says. Get on with it. Um, I expect you to be farther along and, and be able to dive into the deeper things of God, the maturity, uh, so that you can grow. Because I have so be much more I want to tell you, right? So much I want to share with you. Be because because remember, folks, uh, a, a, a classic sign of a baby believer is that life is about them. God, what is it that you're going to give for me? A person who is more mature as a believer understands that life is not about me, but about what God wants and how God wants His kingdom to grow and expand. And we view that like Yeshua, disciples of Yeshua, who said, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me. I want to be like Yeshua. And so, what matters to me is the fact that I want what God wants. I want the growth of the kingdom of God. I want God to be able to do stuff in me and through me. And so, the people in the book of Hebrews had gone through stuff and were at one time pretty strong. There were some of them were in prison. At this point, they're kind of wobbly. All right, um, let's finish, and I'm sure there are more comments and questions which we'll take up at some point in the dim and distant future. And next week, come ready to discuss Ruth. Thank you, Michael. All right, uh, Rabbi David, would you finish for us, sir? Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity we've had tonight to uh, look into your word. We do. Ask that you would continue to show us um, the foundation that you've laid for us, Lord, that we can uh, take everything from the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture, Lord, and understand how it fits together and how ultimately we uh, can, uh, can, can express that in a life that we live that is pleasing to you, that is guided by you and your power. We ask that your power be the thing that does guide us in the paths of of your shalom, Lord, into all areas of, of uh, our life and how we interact with one another and how we express you to to this world. We just thank you for all of this time and these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.